Hi, this is Clarence Ling from Marketlytics, Law for Marketing Specialist. Welcome to The Legaling Show, where we talk about what lawyers care about. I hope you enjoy today's show. Hi guys, how's it going? My name is Clarence Ling from Marketlytics, Law for Marketing Specialist. We're here in uh, what's now known as The Legaling Show. And I have here Jonathan Mamario from NB Lawyers in Queensland. And he is a lawyer for employers, which a lot of us are employers. So let's welcome Jonathan and give him a hand and uh, have him explain what, what's your background, Jonathan, and uh, how, give us a rundown of what NB Lawyers is. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me, uh, Clarence. I, I appreciate it. Um, so uh, our firm, MB Lawyers, uh, Lawyers for Employers, were uh, based in Brisbane, our HQ's in Brisbane. We've got an office in um, yeah, Sydney, um, Adelaide, and in Cairns up in North Queensland. Uh, and we're looking to hopefully op- open an office in Melbourne uh, soon. Um, there's obviously some logistical issues with doing that right now. Um, but uh, what we specialize in uh, is employment law. Uh, we also do commercial law and property law, but I lead the... Uh, employment law teams in particular. Okay. Now, uh, it's, it's, it's very rare, not rare, not that rare anymore, but it's yep. good yep. to see niched lawyers who know their target market, know what they want, know who they're after and go to it. But uh, having the niche is really something that's, that's uh, not, that, not as common as it should be for lawyers in, in Australia or maybe in, even around the world. A lot of lawyers are like generalists and they do every single thing under the sun. Uh, so it's very refreshing to have someone so marketing employment law so well. Uh, NB Lawyers is a very good uh, LinkedIn game. I, I've seen it myself. And uh, let's start with a question. Yep. So a lot of my, our viewers, uh, marketers, real estate agents, uh, there's some other industries as well in my network, uh, uh, including other lawyers. Yes. And it might be helpful for other lawyers to know this as well. But uh, one important question for my audience is, how do you distinguish employees from contractors in general? Yeah, sure. Okay, so that's a, that's a really good question. Um, what really complicates things is that there is actually no specific definition of what a contractor is uh, in the Fair Work Act. Um, what also makes it a bit more difficult is that there's essentially three streams of the definition. So there's really the ATO or the tax office. You've got superannuation and you've got the Fair Work Act or the employment side. Um, Unfortunately, um, they don't necessarily all mesh. Okay, so one definition under, say, the tax legislation doesn't necessarily mean they're a a contractor for the Fair Work Act purposes. And so in the Fair Work Act, it's really about uh, the main issue is control. So does the the principal or the, um, the business have a control over that worker. And that could be demonstrated by a number of things. Uh, for example, if you don't have a contract or agreement, um, that's, that's, a, that's a, a potential giveaway. Um, if you've, you're paying them essentially PAYG or, or, or weekly wages, if you're not asking them to issue you invoices, um, that's, that's an issue as well. Um, there's all other other. Uh, potential aspects around um, what equipment they use, what tools they use, um, who pays for subscriptions and memberships um, as well. Um, so that 
that can be a, very, a big issue for a number of um, organizations. Mm, that's very interesting. We've got some interesting legislation coming in from the federal parliament or the Commonwealth Parliament in, in, in some definitions. Yep. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about the wage theft bill? Yeah, so essentially um, the wage theft uh, bill has sort of come about uh, because of um, a few matters. So prior to COVID really um, exploding, um, there were really, in, in IR, there was really underpayment of wages was the big issue. Um, in particular around um, organisations such as Chai Time, uh, Woolworths, um, if you remember the former MasterChef judge, George Columbaris, um, his restaurant group as well. And the best they could do really was uh, seek the um, the underpayment of wages to be paid back, the compensation, and there were um, uh, penalties. Uh, what they're now looking to do is potentially rope in uh, also um, uh, those directors and board members, um, and even to some extent HR, um, and rope them into potentially criminal um, sanctions. And so uh, that's really interesting because uh, it could uh, lead to um, directors uh, and business owners who normally, um, you know, would only just be fined, could be um, sentenced to uh, potential criminal sanctions. Uh, and that's a real interesting shift uh, in mentality. Um, and although a lot of that's been put on hold because of what's happened with COVID, I suspect early in the new year, as a lot of the zombie companies and JobKeeper sort of runs its course, we're going to see a number of companies a number of directors who are going to be uh, potentially um, under liability with these um, new wage theft um, uh, legislation. And even, even if not the wage theft legislation, just the civil legislation around uh, the Fair Work Act and underpayment of wages. That's very, very interesting news. Uh, and uh, thank you for updating us, Jonathan. Uh, there's also a casual workers bill. Can you tell us a bit more what, what that's about? Yeah, sure. So essentially, there was um, a couple of cases um, involving Workpack B Rosado and Workpack B Skinny. So I, I think uh, a number of people um, have have either read some articles or, or read, you know, some of excerpts of those cases. Um, although, in my view, um, and in our firm's view, it probably doesn't go as far as what people are saying, especially um, what um, uh, potentially employer associations are saying. Uh, but in any event. Um, there is um, some ambiguity around uh, casual workers right now. Um, and so what they're looking to do is, and, and the ambiguity, sorry, is that potentially leave payments uh, could be paid um, or pay, be payable as an underpayment uh, for casual workers. And so what uh, the government are looking to do is potentially change that by making get put firstly putting in a definition of what a casual employee is in the Fair Work Act. Um, secondly, um, compelling uh, businesses to offer casual workers with some type of regular pattern of hours, maybe um, maybe permanent or a full time job after twelve months. Um, and so there's maybe some there are going to be some um, provisions around that. And and I suppose the the, um, the other issue around um, uh, casual workers is, is really going to be addressing issues around um, the, sick, the leave and sick leave and everything else and be able to 
offset any overpayments with any potential underpayments. And so that is something that the, uh, the government are looking to do right now. So it's essentially to avoid the double dipping issues that uh, potentially stem from um, the Skenny and Rosado cases. Mm. That's, that's very, very, another very good update. Uh, I think a lot of employers, including marketers who employ mar other marketers and so on, have need to have an understanding of award rates. Uh, can you just give us a brief rundown on uh, how to understand them and how we should approach them? Yeah, so um, modern awards, one of the things you really need to consider with modern awards is not just to simply look at what is the, the base rate of pay. Um, the, the, the modern award sets really a minimum rate of pay. Um, and if you're looking to um, pay um, just at that rate of pay, then you need to consider things like um, overtime, allowances and loadings. Um, now, if you're looking to potentially package that all up into an annualized salary, then you could look at an annualized salary arrangement um, that is, you, you're essentially paying well above um, what that employee would be entitled to and you codify that in an employment contract and you may need to even go further and have what we call an individual flexibility agreement. And an individual flexibility agreement potentially can offset um, some of the, um, uh, the payments and rope in some of the obligations under awards. Um, and the second part really is if you're looking at award interpretation and, and, and figuring out what, what award applies, I had a client, for example, and they spent you know, days trying to figure out which award applies. Just call either an employment lawyer, uh, potentially talk to your HR person and get that done um, immediately. They'll, they'll be much more quicker um, exercise because I'll, there's a, a number of things you need to look at to, to um, understand uh, which award applies because that's your base minimum. Um, you don't want to be going below that uh, because if you do, then you will go into issues around underpayment. And if you have an automated system um, and you've entered in the wrong rules around which award applies or even the rate of pay, then what happens is that issue becomes compounded through an automated system. So that's where a lot of organizations really need to be very careful um, about the rate of pay. That's quite scary about automated compounding problems. Well, that's what happens. Uh, and that's what happened to Woolworths, for example. You know, they, <laughs> the, the rules were entered incorrectly, had been for many years, and the automated system just compounded the issue. Um, they had an terrible. enterprise agreement involved, but still it's the same principle. That's terrible for the business. Uh, nobody wants their business to have that happen to. Yeah. Well, Automation is so excellent, Clarence. It's just you got to still ensure that whatever rules you insert into that payroll system is correct. And if you haven't, then it just makes it makes the problem much bigger. Rubbish in, rubbish out. I, I think that's a, that's a really good analogy. Yeah. So maybe just help us understand the scope of work for employees. Uh, how important is it to define these things and uh, what happens if you breach them or, or, or like mm. what happens if you push the boundaries on the scope of work for your employees when you've got, you've actually in the contract have set their duties already? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose the first thing you need to do is 
have a written employment contract. Um, now, why I say that is, firstly, it avoids ambiguity. Um, if if it says you know you're going to be paid X amount of dollars and this is going to be your job or this your role, then that's uh, you know it's codified, it's there, and at the formation of the employment contract, everyone knows what's happening. If you need to vary that contract, do it by way of variation. So if it's going to be for I mean, there's a variation usually happens every year, that's a, a pay increase, right? So if you're going to make any changes, that's the time to do it. You know, if you're going to insert a restrained trade clause, confidentiality clause, if you're going to look to maybe change their role or position description, that's a great time to, to do it because, uh, because you still need both parties to agree. Um, if you want to look at the standards or the conduct of staff or the unwritten rules or the common sense uh, obligations, then don't codify it in a, an employment contract because then it's very hard to change. You can only change it by variation. Uh, the best way to do it is through a policy or policy or procedure. And they're more organic documents, Clarence. So you can actually, you know, uh, change them when you need to. You can, um, it's for the benefit of the employer. You've got to have the employment contract drafted correctly to cover that, but um, it's for the benefit of the employer only. You can utilize that for, uh, you know, ensuring that the standard, the standards required in the business are kept at a certain level. You know, all those unwritten rules that are sort of set out, um, absolutely. Um, and that way, uh, also, all you need to do then, if, if, um, if you roll out these policies, is just let the employee know that they exist. Um, that's the obligations. Um, and you may need some training every now and again, depending on what type of policy it is. So for example, workplace health and safety, uh, maybe workplace bullying, those type of policies, you probably need to do some training, but very simple code of conduct stuff could be done through, um, uh, you know, onboarding processes or something like that. Well, that's again, very useful information for most of every employer in Australia. Uh, just wondering, uh, with the JobKeeper ending soon, what mm -hmm. issues do you see coming up in February or March next year? Yeah, as I said a little bit previously, and as I alluded to previously, Clarence, um, I think underpayment of wages is going to be a big issue. Um, you're going to see a number of um, claims by employees around um, when they were stood down or where there was pay cuts or even um, undertaking new roles or responsibilities. Um, and there may well be some payroll problems as well. So I suspect there's going to be a lot of underpayment of wages claims. I think we're already start, we're starting to see it now uh, already in our firm. Um, but the, I think the big one will probably be um, a lot of dismissal claims. Um, we're already seeing, a, uh, you know, the Fair Work Commission, I think the number is that they've increased it 40, by 40% 40 with unfair dismissal claims and the general protections or other types of dismissal claims have quadrupled. So we're talking about a huge increase uh, in numbers of, uh, of claims. Um, so, and I suspect that's going to increase even more as uh, companies look at redundancies and restructures and just closing down their business or um, being merged or acquired um, or just completely downscaling. So I think there's going to be a number of um, cases. We're already seeing that. I think it's just going to increase uh, in February, March, especially after Christmas. There's potentially going to be a bit of a reset as well by um, 
by organizations for workforce planning. This doesn't sound like a very fun time for any business owner when that happens. I think, um, you know, if, if, a, if a business owner and depends on your size, if, if you haven't, um, you know, talked to your accountant or talked to your board or I think it's, you know, you need to really start looking at the forecasts. You know, what is, you know, what do you forecast? Where, where's the business going? Um, and if, if JobKeeper is essentially propping that business up, you need to start looking at, well, maybe we need to do a restructure. Um, you know, once you've done all that activity, then you can sort of paint the restructure and the redundancy process. Um, you know, you ha you'll have time. It's when you, if you don't plan ahead, that's where a lot of organizations get into a lot of trouble because they start doing these redundancy processes very quickly or restructure processes really quickly as a reaction to, for example, you know, losing a major contact or major contract when they potentially was already going to lose that or already knew they were going to lose that because of, of, of the effects of COVID. You need to start planning. And I, I can't, I mean, we, we've been talking to clients about this um, consistently you know, get it, uh, have a look at your workforce. I mean, there's other things you need to look at, financials, et cetera. But in terms of the employment law side, um, look at your workforce. Um, what, you know, what can you do in terms of what needs to be done? Is there efficiencies? Is there, um, is there, is it still being propped up? And if so, how, why, and what can you do? Um, and then at the end of the day, you need to start looking at, after that, you start looking at well, what's our risk and liability. And the thing that I would always say to clients, Clarence, is this, um, any document you put together, any process you put together, um, what would a, a commissioner in the federal commission or what would a judge say in the federal court about these documents and processes? And if you think there's any hint of neg negative around it, then you need to get some advice or get looked at or redo it because that's a, essentially potentially where it's gonna go. Very good advice. Extremely good advice. Uh, just wonder, one last question. Uh, is work from home becoming an actual employment issue these days? Yeah, that, that's, that's one of the mixed ones. Um, we've, we've talked to a lot of our clients and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a 50-50 um, where a number of organizations are saying that productivity has taken a bit of a dip. Um, but it's not so much productivity, maybe. It's more the performance management or managing performance in a way that um, is effective. So, you know, there's still a lot of um, uh, stiltedness around um, having meetings on Zoom or Teams or something like that. Um, and I think there's still people trying to adjust to that and adjust, adjusting to that work from home situation so a lot of uh, claims around mental illness um, are propping up as well so that wellness side for employees who are working from home and I think just simply the business itself uh, there are just some businesses that require uh, people to to be in the factory or be in um, the business um, so there's a, a number of tensions uh, because you've got a number of uh, employees also that are looking for flexibility and greater flexibility and you know how do you build build culture 
I think this is one of the biggest issues that is going to come next year, work from home. I think it's already an issue this year. I think a number of organizations adapting well because they can, but I think there's also some organizations that aren't adapting well. And I think there's some organizations that just simply can't for various reasons. And so I think this is where we're going to see a lot of tensions and how is that going to work? And will the, will a vaccine essentially just, you know, fix that up or has the workplace changed now to the extent where we're going to see um, a number of um, different models that are going to work going forward. All right, we're running out of time, but thank you very much, Jonathan, for being here. Uh, this is Jonathan Mamario from NB Lawyers, and we at The Legaling Show like to talk to lawyers as marketers, but we don't just talk about marketing. We, do, we might talk about a few things about marketing, but we like to talk about the law, because that's what lawyers like to talk about the most, the law, and it helps our audience to know a bit about the law and about complying with the law so that uh, lawyers like you, Jonathan, have an easy job. <laughs> <laughs> Fair <Yeah>. enough comment. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, thank you very much again, Jonathan, for coming here. And thank you for sharing some insights to employment law for lawyers who might not know employment law or for my other audiences like marketers and real estate agents or migration agents that might need to know the obligations. Thank you very much. And we'll see you guys soon. No All right. Signing up. Clarence Link signing off. Uh, bye, Jonathan. Thanks.